This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book at the dinner hour meeting on the Wednesday and we are considering uh, under a general title the finished work number 12 of the series. Today I want to ventilate a question that is generally very much perplexing mind of most of us and I'm not expecting to be able to settle the whole question partly because 10 minutes is not very long and partly because I don't know the answers completely. So between us, we are just acknowledging that we're up against difficulties. I'll read a, four, a few verses to introduce the subject I want to deal with this morning. Book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the word keep means to guard against the possibility of an attack. There's a warning that there was an enemy about in that word. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3 Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye should not eat of every tree of the garden? There's one reservation, you see. He didn't say, What a garden to be placed in, with only one small stipulation. Same thing, you see. Two ways of saying it. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye should not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. <coughs> now, very many of us, quite a number of God's people, are boggled a little bit by the idea that into that Garden of Eden, God put some obscene, awful, evil thing. I want just to deal with that. If I can deal with that, that's about as far as we may hope to go today. First of all, the, the devil said, you shall be as gods. And the word gods there could include angels, knowing good and evil. But God himself takes up the word in the same chapter. Look at chapter 3. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. That cannot be tolerated, so he lost the garden. So God admitted that it was one of the characteristics of himself that he knew God, good and evil. Now, I haven't time to go slowly and patiently through and gradually lead up to a point, so will you come with me with a great leap to Hebrews chapter 5? Hebrews chapter 5. Here the apostle is writing to believers, and he's telling them that he's rather sad to notice that although they've been Christians for oh, a long period, they're just like babies so far as the truth is concerned. Chapter 5. 
Verse 12, of whom we, for the time we ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which is the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not a strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So one of the characteristics of a perfect person is that he knows good and evil. That word full age is the word perfect. Now do you begin to see what happened in the garden? Can you by any stretch of imagination believe that Adam and Eve had their senses exercised? What did they know? There were no others with whom they could speak. There were no libraries they could refer to. There was no history that was there. And taking that innocent pair straight off like that, the temptation came. You need not remain babies. You can go on. Now you see, it's perfectly right for a full-grown person to know good and evil. Because if you don't know good and evil, how can you manage anybody else's conduct or rule the world or do anything? There's nothing wrong about the words good and evil. They comprise all knowledge, all that's possible to know. Would you say, where do you get that from? 2 Samuel chapter 14. As I say, I have to leap in these meetings and not lead up to it gradually, so you will understand, won't you? 2 Samuel 14. Now in verse 17 we read these words. 2 Samuel 14, 17. Then thine handmaid said, The word of my Lord the King shall now be comfortable, for as an angel of God, notice this, as an angel of God, so is my Lord the King, to discern good and evil. Our word, of course, is translated here bad. It's the same. So as an angel of God, he could discern good and evil. He didn't say he was wrong to desert it. He was saying it was a very wonderful thing which we have to acknowledge. Now look at the repeat of this in verse 20. To fetch about this form of speech hath thy servant Joab done this thing, and my Lord is wise. You notice in the Garden of Eden, it will make you wise. According to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. You notice the change. In the first case, this woman says, an angel of God knows good and evil. And in the second reference, she says that means knowing all things. Well, of course it does. If you knew all that's good and all that's evil, you'd know everything. But what a burden to put upon the mind of a person who's only just started to live. Don't you see, the essence of the temptation was to leap from a baby to the full-grown man, and assume responsibilities for which he had not power, discretion, guidance, or anything. Now think of the ways in which Scripture speaks. The book of Ecclesiastes says, As for God, he created man upright, but he sought out many inventions. What's wrong with inventions? We're all benefiting by them. But if you read the story of Isaiah, the good king, who had wonderful inventions. It says so, the word is used. And he was mightily helped till he was strong. And then nothing could hold him back. He was a king. 
He was going to be a priest as well and he went into the temple and the priest warned him and when he stretched out his hand to take the censer he became a leper and he died. You see, there's a presumption about this. This knowledge that was being given so freely by the serpent to the man and the woman was to be their undoing. You say, how could it be their undoing? Well, you think of a young person just starting out in life. He leaves his sheltered home, if there are sheltered homes now. He leaves his school, whatever it was pure as daylight, if there's schools like that now. And he goes into an office or a factory or a place. And before he's there many days, he's initiated into some of the vilest things that a person can know, which he ought not to know anything about until he'd grown many, many years. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't wrong for anyone who was going to be given dominion to know good and evil. But Adam hadn't been given dominion over his fellows. There were no fellows there at the moment. God says, I will give you a limited dominion. Sheep, oxen, fowl of the air, fish of the sea. When that is repeated in the New Testament, all things under his feet, of the second man and the last Adam, there's no sheep and oxen. It's principalities and powers and thrones and dominions. Now then, we come back again to Isaiah chapter 14. The wisdom of this world has put a proverb, which is true, set a thief to catch a thief. What was the bait that was used in the Garden of Eden? It was the same that brought about the downfall of that one we now know as the serpent, the dragon, the devil, and Satan. In Isaiah 14, perhaps we better turn to it to make sure we read it for ourselves, you get these words. Someone is addressed as Lucifer, the son of the morning. And these are the words that are said about him. Verse 12, Thou art thou fallen from heaven. So he was someone who was in heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the, in the sides of the earth north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You see, it's associated with this aspiration to ascend above the clouds, to be above the stars. You won't have to wait much longer, friends, before some editorial in the newspaper you read will have the very words, without their knowing the scriptures, that man can now sit his throne above the stars. He's practically reached the limit, and beyond the limit, that was set to man. And it all came out of this, uh, t- this temptation to go before the time, to run before you could walk. And our Saviour was submitted to the same thing. Do you know he was tempted by the devil before he commenced his work? The first one was to command stones and then they made bread. But the last one was, why don't you make a shortcut and get the thing that you, you're intended to have without all the misery of the cross? Look, I take you to this mountain, said the, said the serpent, said Satan to Christ. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, all that I'll give you for one act of worship. A shortcut to the thing that he was yet, Christ is yet to be exalted far above all names that have universal dominion. 
but it was not possible. He could not be tempted, blessed be God. And so we move from the first Adam who was the earth, earthy and merely a living soul, to the second man, the last Adam, who was the Lord from heaven. And we see that ultimately God's glorious purpose will be achieved. But you see, it wasn't so much. This has been so beclouded. You read a novel, I don't know whether you ever do, and they'll use this question of Eve tempting Adam for something to do with somebody committing adultery. But there was nobody there. There was the man and the woman made by God with the explicit statement, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's nothing whatever to do with that at all. The evil one went that way round because he could get at the woman and get through the woman to the man. For it was the man that was told. And he passed it on to the woman. And she could only pass on what she'd heard. And there are many who again misunderstand. When Adam was challenged by God and said, What is this that thou hast done? He said, The woman that thou gavest with me, to be with me, gave it to me. Now people said that he was blaming the woman. But he wasn't. He was telling God exactly what. It says in the New Testament, the woman was deceived, but the man went into the transgression with his eyes open. It's very often misquoted. The woman tempted me. That isn't what it says. The woman that thou gavest to be with me. He looked at his wife and he said, I've lost her already. She's already taken it. Now I can save my skin and save myself, but I'll go with her. He was wrong. He ought to have left it with the Lord. But he didn't put any blame on her, for the Lord immediately turned to the woman and said, What is this that thou hast done? What a need there is for us to remember the subtlety of this tempter, who is still at work. He has not yet been put into the bottomless pit. And he works in the same insidious way. He doesn't contradict the purpose of God but he gives his own subtle way of getting round it, and all hath God said, and all God knows, and making out that God is limiting you, and he was limiting. He was limiting for his own gracious purposes. What a wonderful world it would have been if man had been simply satisfied to be given dominion over all creation beneath himself. Instead of that, he's talking about landing on the moon and taking both his disease and his, in his wickedness to the stars above the heavens. I don't think you can get very much further before the end has come. Well now as I'm, I'm conscious that this ought to have been given a much more serious presentation. But I've picked out for you one or two passages that good and evil don't stress the word evil. You must stress both good and evil and that compromises everything there is in existence. And the temptation was to these people in the Garden of Eden to be wise beyond their years and tipple them over with a sort of heady knowledge that was beyond their ability to follow up. And that opened the door. And Romans 5 says, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, for God said, Lest he take the tree of life and become immortal, this must be stopped. And so we became a mortal race, all because of this dreadful step that was taken that day in the Garden of Eden.